Well, open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're going to read again verses 20 through 23. John 17, 20 through 23. In fact, I'm going to read verse 11 and then come to verse 20. Verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. And the glory which Thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and Thou in me, that they may may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me. And that thou, and that hast, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. In the four verses that I've, five verses that I've read this morning, there is a theme that we have been looking at. Four out of the five verses indicate the purpose of our Lord's prayer is that they may be one. And we've looked at three of those verses that have that phrase in it up to this point as different things are attached to it to give us an understanding of what it means to be unified. And this morning we're going to pick up the last verse, verse 23, that has this theme in it. John 17, verse 23 is our text. And it says, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Again, beginning in John 17 and verse 20, our Lord has been praying for those who will believe on Him through the preaching of His Word. And He is praying for those churches that will be involved in fulfilling His will and His purposes in the spread of the Gospel. One of the things our Lord is praying for is unity. A unity of purpose and existence. Just as a side note, let me just say, early in my Christian life, I did not know or understand why the Lord established local churches like this one. Uh, I did not understand that God had a purpose in all that He does and that there was a purpose in establishing churches and that they existed for a purpose. I don't understand that. It took me years to figure out 
And I didn't hear that preached from the pulpit. It took me years to figure out some of these things that I have been preaching to you over the last several years. But you cannot read Psalm, uh, not Psalm, John 17, and you cannot read the four mentions of the phrase, that they may be one, without realizing how significant unity is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the context of the prayer, unity particularly among the saints that are laboring together for the spread of the gospel. As thou hast sent me, even so I have sent them, he says. And one of the things our Lord has been praying for is for His people to grasp a unity of purpose and existence that that may be established among His churches so that they might remain focused upon their usefulness in His kingdom. Why do we exist? What is the purpose of it all? As a church I'm talking about. I'm not talking about individually why we exist or what is our purpose in the realm of of eternity. I'm talking about as a church, why do we exist? There is a reason why God established local churches. And there is a reason why God uses them for particular things. And once we grasp that, and we see God has a purpose for our existence, and then we say to ourselves, I need to do everything I can to maintain the unity of that purpose in existence. I need to focus my life and energies on that. John 17 and verse 23, our Lord prays that the unity in His churches would be made perfect. That English word stirs up ideas in our minds that are not in the Greek word, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But in that request, in that request, in John 17 verse 23, Our Lord is asking that His people see unity as an important element of the church's existence. And and as an important element of the the church's purpose. That they also labor to carry through in their efforts of unity until they see it completed. The word perfect here has the idea of completion, coming to completion. We're not there, but we are moving in that direction. The English is that they be made perfect. There is a process here that is involved in this work. We cannot say this church is perfectly unified yet. But we ought to be able to say that we are working toward it. You understand the difference? That they labor until they see unity accomplished within their local church. That's what he's praying for. That they focus on unity as an essential thing and then they work toward it, endeavor to accomplish it, and labor to see it accomplished. That request also includes the idea that His people continue to add. The Greek word behind the word perfect has 
this meaning that you continue to add to what you've already accomplished until it is fully accomplished. Until it is fully accomplished. Continue to add whatever's missing of the unity in the church until they see it fulfilled. They look at where they're at, they assess the situation, and then they engage themselves to do what is necessary to bring it, as they say in the world today, to the next level. Bring it up. Add to it. Make it better. John 17 and verse 23 starts out with the words, I in them and thou in me. One of the purposes of our being in Christ and of the Father being in Christ is that we might be made perfect in one. That we might attain to a mature and complete unity. Those English words mature and complete are found in that word perfect. That we might attain unto a mature and complete unity with other Christians, but especially that we might attain to a mature unity with the members of the church where we are located. That we might attain to that. I and them. First, every child of God has a spiritual relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, where we have Christ in us as the hope of glory. We have seen ourselves as sinners. We have repented and called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. He has been faithful to His Word and to our soul to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us one of His children. He comes in and dwells with us. And it says of the Scriptures, I am in them. The Bible says in another place, we are in Him. We are united together, bound together like this. But it adds that the Father is also involved here. And what we see here also is that every child of God, with the phrase, thou and me, that every child of God has the same closeness of relationship with their Father in heaven as any other child of God. I've walked with God now since the summer of 1975. Some of you have not walked with Him that long. Does that make me closer to Him than you? No. There is this relationship that is established when we are saved that brings us into a perfect closeness with God that can never be removed. It's called justification. We'll get to that in a minute. This relationship was revealed in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ doing His earthly ministry, this relationship of the Father being in Him. Each person of the Godhead is distinct and individual. I've preached that throughout this series. And yet, at the same time, there is only one God. And that one God cannot be divided into any parts. There is one God, and yet three persons. And I know the difficulty of grasping that truth, but it is that which is declared in the Scriptures. And so we believe it. While He was on the earth, our Lord Jesus Christ revealed Himself to be God. I am God. 
At the same time, he revealed that the Father was in him doing the works that he was doing. I don't know if you remember or not. You probably don't. I had to look it up. John 14.10. John 14.10. Where he said, Believest thou that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Believest thou that? He's asking a question. Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? That we are united in purpose and existence. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. Where did he get them from? We learn from the other scriptures. He got them from his Father. And then he says in verse 10, But, but the Father that dwelleth in me, He doeth the works. And we see Christ doing works on the earth. And he says, it's the Father in me that's doing the works. And so we see them joined together in a unity of purpose and activity. The purpose of the Father being in Christ and Christ being in the Father is to testify that the Godhead is perfectly joined together to accomplish all the purposes of God regarding our salvation. That they are working together, these three persons of the Godhead, to save sinners from their sins. The Father has chosen, the Son has died, and the Holy Spirit quickens and brings them into a living relationship with God. They're working together for this same purpose. That same truth is revealed in us. We are in Christ, and the Father is in Christ, and in order that we, quote, might be made perfect in one. John 17, 23, I in them, and thou in me, that. Here's the purpose. That what? They may be made perfect in one. I'm going to focus most of my message on that statement. We'll come back to the to this next Lord's Day, God willing, and pick up the latter part of the verse. That they may be perfect in one. God working in His churches to accomplish this task. He is praying, I am in, they are in me, and I am in them, and you are in me. And here is the purpose. And this is what I'm asking for. He's praying that they may be made perfect in one. Our Lord prays that His Father would be involved and He would be involved. And I, and I believe also the Holy Spirit would be involved in this working in us to accomplish this perfect unity. But that is not the only thing that He's praying for here. The focus of the prayer is also upon the members of the church, that they also might be involved in the process of being made into a mature, unified body for Christ. That the members of the church might see it as their responsibility also to be involved in ensuring that there's unity in the assembly. And not just unity that is frail and fragile but one that is made perfect. The perfect unity spoken of is not something that comes with salvation, 
but something that must be made to happen. Did you catch that word? That they may be made perfect. It must be made to happen. Notice the maturity and the oneness or the unity are put together in our Lord's Prayer. Notice that this perfect one is made to happen, brought to pass. And so it is not something that comes with salvation. When God saves us, we are made perfect by justification. We were a sinner and we came to Christ to to forgive us He forgave us past, present, future sins, all of them removed, and we were made righteous. And in that righteous state, God looks at us and says they are justified. There is nothing in them that can keep them out of my presence. They are perfect. And we look at ourselves and say, we don't see what, what He sees. But in Christ, we are perfect. The same is true of sanctification. That... There is a standing before God when we are perfectly sanctified. God can call us saints. God can call us holy. And we look at ourselves and say, I don't feel holy. In fact, I know I'm not. But in Christ, we are. We are perfectly justified, perfectly sanctified. And the day is coming when we step out of this world into the next. And in heaven, we will be perfectly glorified. Those three things are true right now. But that's not what he's talking about. Because they exist by what Christ has done for us to save us. This is something that has to be made to happen. What he is praying for here has to be made to come to pass. This perfection is worked out on earth. First in each one of us so that we are laboring We are purposely laboring toward a unity in this assembly. And then among each member of the local church collectively. So that we as a body of believers are laboring toward this perfect unity. This perfect oneness. Unlike our perfect and unchangeable unity with our God in our salvation. The perfect unity being prayed for for by our Lord for His children is something that must be nurtured. It is something that must be encouraged. It is something that must be practiced. And it is something that must be made a point of importance. It is important to me as a member of this church to labor toward making this church one in mind and heart and so, as a pastor of this church, that is a significant part of my ministry. Why pray this way? Why just hours from the cross would our Lord begin to address His Father And ask His Father for these certain things. First for His apostles, the sent ones, and then for the churches they would establish and organize who would then send. Pray for those who will be sending. 
the gospel to the world. Why would he pray in this manner for them? Our Lord prays for those that believe, that will believe on Him. Isn't that enough to make all the believers in a local church one? Isn't, uh, isn't being saved enough to make us all think alike, believe alike, act alike, and strive together for the same cause? Isn't coming to God's salvation enough? If it was, why is He asking? The Father for it. You know why he's asking the Father for it? Because they were not yet made one. And we saw several weeks ago where the eleven were divided among themselves. And we saw the church. Some believing Christ rose and some believing He didn't for fear and we saw them in fear and distrust and we saw them upset. And, and then later we saw in the Scriptures these things about how division ends up in churches. We have seen that this unity and disharmony can and does exist within the Lord's people and within His church. We have seen that over the last few year, weeks as we have looked at these verses. I have shown you Scriptures to prove that. We have seen that some disunity is good. That because it separates those who believe error from those who want to believe the truth and who are striving to understand the truth. They went out from us. Why? Well, because they were not of us. And those who stayed wanted what was there in that assembly. And we have seen that New Testament churches experience disunity and which disrupted the functioning of the church. 1 Corinthians, when we refer to that text and that epistle, such a disunity that it disrupted the functioning of the church. The goal of each local church is that they might be one unified body of believers in order to spread the gospel and in order to see to the spiritual growth of the assembly. Those are the two things that we see the scriptures focusing on. The evangelizing of the world of the lost and the edification of the saints. These are the two things that of the purpose. The, third, the first one, the most important, is the gather to worship the one true and living God. And that's why part of the reason why we gather here. We meet with God and God meets with us. But there is other purposes revealed in the Scriptures. God would use us to evangelize the lost. God would use us to build up the saints within the membership. It is a serious deception to think we have already arrived in the place of perfect Christian unity with all who profess to be Christians. You know in yourself that this is not true. All that profess to be Christians. I say profess. Some may not be true Christians. But if they profess to be, we are not in perfect unity with them. We know that. We understand that. That's speaking of Christians in general. But it is also a serious deception to think that our church or any other church has arrived at the place of perfect Christian unity. It is a serious deception 
to think that there will never be a crossword, never be a thought come to mind and heart against a brother and a sister, never be a conflict large enough for me to walk out those doors and never come back. It is a serious deception to think that that will never happen in this assembly. Because it will happen, and it could happen. Now, I've told you that I pastored a church on the south side of San Antonio for 17 years. Started just like this one with a handful of people. And over the 17 years that I was pastor there, we had one major problem. The person came in from outside, and he disrupted the whole assembly, and he left and took five years for me to put that thing back together. In the course of it, we lost one family. We lost one family. I still grieve to this day that we lost that family. By the way, they never got over it. They never could settle in any church after that. They would go here and there. We started several churches in the San Antonio area. They would go over here and stay a while. They would go over here and stay a while. They would try this one that we didn't start. They would try that one. And in the end, their whole life was destroyed. And so, an honest evaluation of any particular local church is this. We should strive for unity, but we haven't arrived yet. We haven't arrived yet. There is no local church. There is no local church in which the members are in perfect oneness, perfect unity, as our Lord is praying here. I've already given you some definitions as to why that must be true. There are some who have left, end up going to start what they call a home, a house church. Husband gets up on Sunday morning, reads a little bit of scripture, maybe reads something or they listen to a message, and that's their church. There's some who have left. Fallen by the wayside. There's some who have left God in other churches and just never fit anywhere. They get so focused on what they left over that if they don't find that there, in that place, then they can't stay. I've seen that throughout the course of my ministry. There have been times when I said to a brother or sister, you know, it seems like God's not adding you. Find a place where you can fit. I want you to find a place where you can fit. I want you to find a place where you can grow. I want you to find a place where you can prosper. That's what I want. You come here, that's what I want for you. If there's not the place for that, then find a place. But I don't want you to leave. Because I believe we can reach a common ground. Every true And biblical church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in the process of being made into a biblically unified body of believers. In the process of being made. In them, there are some who though they disagree on one thing or another, have decided, have determined in the depths of their heart that they will stay and labor together despite whatever differences there may be between them. I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that work. I was pastor of a local church that had three groups 
of people in it concerning the second coming of Christ. <laughs> One were premillennial dispensationists. There was a group of them that didn't agree among themselves on some issues. One was uh, gospel millennial, what the old amillennial with a different view. And one was, I don't know anything about that. What are you talking to me about that about? I just know he's coming back. I didn't even know there were different positions. We'll get to that in just a minute. That church functioned as me, as their pastor, for 17 years without any division and strife over that issue. I'll get to you in a, on that in a minute to explain to you why we were able to do such a thing. In any local church that stops seeking for a perfect unity, any local church that stops seeking for a perfect unity grounded in the Word of God will eventually cease to exist. Will eventually cease to exist. The disruptions would be there, the people will leave, and it will be gone. So, here's the question. One of the questions I want to ask this morning. What tools does God use to make a local church whose membership is diverse and perhaps divided on some issues into a unified body of believers? What does God use to accomplish that task? Christ is praying for it. If He's praying for it, if He's asking for it, it's a possible thing. What tools are used? There are several answers to that question. The first is this. God uses His Word to teach each of His children who they are and what they are in relation to Him and to each other. Who they are and what they are in relation to Him and to each other. Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 28, whom we preach, speaking of Jesus Christ, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Now, in justification and sanctification, he's already perfect. But in maturity of Christian understanding and holiness and in unity, he is not yet perfect. And so, every true Christian is justified and sanctified. Every one of us are equal before God, exactly the same. But, Every one of us needs teaching and preaching so that we may be perfected. So that we may grow. Every one of us. There is no place in the local church for somebody who says, I am perfectly justified and I don't need to grow. If you don't need to grow, you're in the wrong place. Starting with me, I need to grow. And I've been walking with my God since July of 1975, and I need to grow. Every one of us, in that sense, 
perfected in Christ, needing to be perfected in our Christian walk. Needing to be made more perfect in our Christian walk. Every one of us. A biblical understanding of our relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, teaches us several things. What does it teach us? First, all true believers are justified and therefore completely and wholly without reservation accepted before God. Everyone that is a true believer completely and wholly without reservation accepted before God. That's a foundation from which I work. The second one is this. Every true believer has the same standing before God as any other true believer. I'm talking about true believers. We are all brethren. There is no hierarchy in God's, in God's church. There's not these down here and these up here and these up here and then there's the pastor and then the, the Lord. No, there's no hierarchy in God's church. We are all brethren. Each one is different. Each one different gifts. Each one different abilities. Each one helping the other. Come along. God has gifted me to be a pastor. I want to use the gifts God gives me to help you. Not to put myself here and you here. We are here. All of us. Equal. That's a New Testament church. Anything outside of that is not a biblically functioning New Testament church. Okay? Each true believer once taught the Scriptures. Add that in there. Once taught the Scriptures follows their Lord's command to be baptized and to be added to the church once they understand the purpose and, and of it and they see it. I had a man tell me on the phone the other day, Brother Pat, you're the only pastor in my whole, this is an older man, in my whole life who has ever taken the time to explain to me what church membership meant, what it means. I just thought they wanted me to come in and take my money. You will not hear me talk about money, by the way. Even though I believe in tithes and offerings. There's a box back there if you came to give. We don't pass the basket or plate or anything like that here. And that's alright as some churches do. It's okay. I'm just saying, I'm not getting you in here to get your money. God's taking care of me in my whole Christian life. And God's church needs money and I'm not going to deny that. And missions needs money and we need that. But that's... God's business in your heart. After they're added to the church, those same believers continue to follow their Lord, learning His Word. Because they see themselves as needing to be made perfect, needing to be perfected, needing to be to grow. They see themselves that way. True Christianity works in you a confidence that God has saved you and you are secure in Jesus Christ. And at the same time works in you, I'm just a child. I, I don't understand hardly anything. And those two things exist at the same time in the same person. I want you to see the second thing is this. God uses His Word to teach each one of His children their biblical relationship with one another within the context of a local church. I, 
I want you to see that each of the Lord's children knows and understands that they have much to learn about true Christianity. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Go with me to Philippians 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. Each of the Lord's children know and understand they have much to learn. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is addressing the local church at Philippi. In chapter 3, he breaks off and gives him something of his testimony in the first verses. And then he speaks about his present Christian life, beginning in verse 12. This is a man who was saved perhaps 30 or more years before he writes these words. This is a man, after having been saved, was taught of God by direct revelation of the Scriptures. This is a man who will write the better part of what we call the New Testament. 14 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. There's a man caught up in the third heaven. There's a man that knows God in ways that you and I and I didn't think about knowing God. And he's walked with God from the first day until this. 30-something years has now passed. He's in prison as he writes this letter. He'll be released for a short time. He'll travel a little bit more. He'll come back and then in a few years he will be martyred. Probably within two years of writing this, he will be martyred. Listen to what he says. Philippians 3.12 Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not yet gained everything about true Christianity that needs to be gained. I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I am, my life can be characterized as someone who has all of these experiences, all of this evidence, and yet my back is turned to it and I'm pressing on because there's more. I haven't yet been perfected. There's more that needs to be made, corrected and instructed. There's more. And then verse 15. Notice the next words. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Wait a minute. In verse 12, he says, I am not yet perfect. In verse 15, he says, let us who are perfect, let us, that includes him, that are perfect, have this same mind in us. What mind? To keep pressing toward learning more. What is he saying here? In verse 15, he speaks to mature Christians that understand what it is to be a true Christian, 
to have the same mind and heart that he has, and that is that everything that they have gained is behind them, and there is much more yet ahead of them. And he calls, adds himself to that group. In verse 12, he says, I'm not yet perfect. And then in verse 15, he said, I'm part of those who are perfect. I'm part of those who are mature. I'm part of those who have been completed up to this point. But I have not yet been fully completed. Brethren, what does that teach you about Christianity? What does that teach you about any aspect of Christianity? And the focus this morning is on Christian unity. That they may be made one. That they may be made perfect in one. What does it teach us about that? It teaches that we may obtain to a certain level, but that we should always remember there is yet more before us. This is true in every aspect of our Christian life. Whatever you know about the Scriptures, there is more to know. Whatever you have gained, whatever ground you have gained, there is more ground to be gained. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. That's Christianity. I'm pressing on. And since we have so much to learn in our own self, and we view ourselves as member of a local church, and we have ourselves so much to learn, it means that we can be patient one with another. Somebody was patient with me when I didn't understand. Somebody said to me one day, Brother Pat, are you sure about that? And I was sure, I was sure until I wasn't sure. Have you ever been there? I hope you have. <coughs> because if you haven't, you haven't, you stop growing. Now there's some things, brethren, that are unshakably settled. Salvation by grace through faith alone is not an option here. We're not going to join hands with Muslims and Hindus and Catholics on the gospel. Not going to happen. Some things unshakably settled. Other things we need to work through. We need to be patient. Remember when you were a young Christian and you needed instruction? Remember also that with regard to others, you may still be a child. I sometimes go to meetings and I sit down and I've walked with God since July 1975. I've studied the Scriptures. And I, if you ask me a question on an issue that I'm aware of, I'll give you what I understand the Scriptures to teach. But I sit there as a student before a teacher to learn. To learn. Maybe God will use that preacher to help me along my journey. I don't go to meetings to preach. If I'm asked to, I will. But I go to sit as a child, as a student before a teacher. Maybe God will use that one to help me along the way. And since we have so much to learn, we understand and ought to understand that we need to love one another in the moment. What do you mean by that? We love each other where we find each other. Not where we hope we might be someday. I meet people 
where they're at. Are you saved? I think so. Are you, are you lost? Let me bring you the gospel. Are you saved? I think so. Let's settle this issue. Let's see if you are or not. Oh, I, I, well, I did this. I did that. I understand this. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? What? No, search the scripture here, will you? Search the scripture here and see if this is not true. If this won't help you. My whole ministry is bound up in that. Where are people at? I'm sitting in a village in northeast India and this harvest moon, this huge orange glow is coming up over the horizon and, and people have come in out of the rice paddies. They've been working 12 hours and they've set out candles because it's getting dark and we're sitting around on the, on the ground and, our, and not me because my knee's hurting and I'm sitting in a chair, but we're sitting around on the ground and we're talking about the, the, the Lord and we're talking about God and we're talking about the Scriptures and they don't know anything. They're, they're animists. They don't know anything about God and, and this, this woman, where do you live? And I, and I have this kind of globe thing and I said, I live over here but you're over here and I had to fly all the way over here to come and see you and she doesn't understand and she looks at the moon and says, Sir, sir, is that the same moon that you see where you live? And my heart is broke. How do I get the gospel? How do I teach that person about God having created her and created the heavens and the earth? How do I reach a person that doesn't even understand that when we look at the moon, we're looking at one moon that doesn't understand geography, that doesn't understand. She lives in her little corner in a jungle and she picks, plants rice and picks rice and her whole existence is in a village and she worships spirits. How do I meet a person like that? Where do I meet them and bring them the gospel? And you see, you can walk away from that. This person is just too dumb for me to teach. No, brethren. If you love the souls of men, you meet people where they're at. And you help them where they're at. Paul in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 12 through 14 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercy, kindness and humbleness of mind, Meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And then he says, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, which keeps that maturity that 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 goal of being of, of being unified which which binds christians together put on charity it binds us it glues us together in our perfectness in our maturity as we grow in these things put it on because without it there's not going to be any one of us made perfect in one Since we all have so much to learn, we need to be involved in helping each other grow. 
I have so much more to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brother, I beg you. I beseech you, brethren. How? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What purpose that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I need to deal with some of this before I close. How does the exhortation in 1 Corinthians 1.10 work out in practical terms? How does it work out in practical terms? First, I beseech you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you and I approach each of you in the same manner as the Lord would approach you for His sake, for His cause, not my sake, not my cause, not my church's sake, not my church's cause, but for the cause of Christ. I beseech you for the cause of Christ. This is... This thinking is throughout all of Paul's writings. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, just jot down the address. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I'm come to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Romans 12, 1. By the mercies of God, I'm approaching you. Romans 15, 30. For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. I'm coming to you about this matter. I'm teaching you about this matter for Christ's sake, for the cause of God and truth, not for the church's sake. It will result in the church being better. But the focus is on Christ. The focus is on Christ. That they may know that Thou hast sent Me. Perfect in one. Why? That they may know that Thou hast sent Me. Speak the same thing. What? What does that mean? I've heard this preached and I've heard it preached wrong. To speak the same thing is not to parrot one message without any differences of thought or differences of opinion. It is, not to, it is to speak to one another in such a way, listen, that we are seeking a place of agreement. Brother Pat, you preach that sinners ought to repent and believe. I believe salvation is by grace alone. God is the only one who can save the sinners. Yes! What do you mean yes? You preach men ought to repent and believe. God is the only one who can save a sinner. God's grace, God's power. God makes the blind man see and the, the deaf man hear and the dead man live. It's God's work from beginning to end. It's all God. Yes! Brother Pat, then why are you preaching men ought to... Repent and believe because that is also true. Well, if I believe this, I can't believe that. Well, then we don't have a place where we can speak on a common ground, do we? But if we take both of them, then now we got a common ground. Now we got a common ground. Now we can speak the same thing. Now, we can grasp because we've grasped truth with both hands. Seeking a place of agreement. It is to speak to one another in such a way as to seek a common ground. It's to labor. 
to bring people to grasp a broader truth than this little thing that you're holding on to. And that thing will fit into a broader truth. It will, if it's true. Be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And I'm going to have to close. I'm going to pick this up next week and come back. But what Paul is saying here is this. The phrase, the same judgment, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, means that to be involved in judging the questions that arise or the issues that arise from the same Christian standpoint, from the same biblical point of view. Now this is critical. Let me just make one statement here concerning the Gospel. In order to understand what the Gospel is, we must have a single eye to what God has said about it. If we have a single eye to what God has said about the Gospel, we see that God has sent His Son to die for sinners, to stand in their place, to pay for their sins. He was buried. He rose after three days. He ascended in heaven. He is praying for them now. God sent His Spirit that by His grace, by the power of God on the inside, God changes us, giving us new hearts, and we call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. It is salvation by grace through faith. Now here's this guy says, yes, but you got to add law keeping. You got to add baptism. You got to add this. You got to add that. Church of Christ. You got to add these five or seven things. Mormons, you got to add these nine things. Catholics, you got to add these seven sacraments. You got to add these things. Yes, Jesus died, but you need this too. There is no common ground on that. We cannot come together on that because those positions are contrary to by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of, work, of gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now come to me and you, Brother Pat, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. I uh, is this true, Brother Pat? Talking to a person the other day, what about this? Can you lose your salvation? This text looks like it. you can lose your salvation. There's texts like that in the Scriptures. It looks like you can, Brother Pat. I said, let's back off a minute and let's come back to a common place. A truth that exists, that is never changing. That if God saves you, you can never be lost. No one can pluck you out of His hand. What does this mean? Okay, now we can study this. But we study it from a common, settled judgment. A truth that is easy to be understood. And then we go from there. That's what he's talking about. And I have several more pages of, of notes and stuff I want to discuss about that. But we'll close this morning. That they may that they may be made perfect in one, in their unity. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect. God help us. 
because this is so critical for the existence and purpose of a local church. It is attainable and then it is able to grow. And as long as I have breath in my lungs and in my life and am pastor of this church, it will be my purpose to stand in this pulpit to teach you the scriptures to bring us together as one. And as much as in me is not to allow any division or strife to arise in this assembly. Father, bless your people in this place.